tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink. Rock. Join me as always, Xavier Guerrero, and on the ones and two, Jay Nice, Juicy Giant, Johnny Woodard, everybody. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. This is going to be a very special episode. Uh, We have a panel coming on to discuss the Armenian-Azerbaijan conflict. I think it's very important for people to understand what is going on in that area. And it's not just Gaza that is dealing with awesome genocide right now so i wanted you guys to hear this it's a great conversation uh this is the last recorded episode for 2023 we're going to be putting out the live stream that we did on youtube that will be coming out next but this is the last episode of 2023 we've saw amazing growth this year and we wanted to say thank you to you the swarm for being a big part of that without you we'd just be talking to yourself i want to wish johnny woodard xavier guerrero a very, 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 very Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I love working with you guys. I appreciate you guys joining me. And uh, thank you guys so much. Oh, thank you. And we got uh, new stuff for you guys coming in the New Year Swarm. We got candles, hats, beanies. Well, you guys saw us kicking it off at the end year. And thank you, Sam, for everything, of course. Uh, Johnny, can you say something nice about me, please? <laughs> I think he's muted. Johnny, you're mute. Sorry, I, I don't have any plugs, but yeah, thank you, Sam. I said it twice already while I was muted. Um, also, I'm not 45, Sam. Everybody <laughs> thinks I'm 45 now, so I'm not 45. Well, congratulations on 44 then, okay? I, Whatever I, that I, age may be. Johnny, I didn't know, but I, I said 38. That worked? Still that's too still shit. too many, but that's close. Okay. Johnny, what is it? It's it's 37. Okay, okay it was one. Yeah. It's not that far off. I was like, there's okay. no way you're 45. Yeah, yeah, I'm such Woo! an old guy. Anyways, if you go to uh, tinfallatteachers.com, we got a whole bunch of teachers t-shirts for you. New ones going up all the time. Wait till you guys see Tinfall Hat is life. I, I got to send you guys a picture. You guys are going to love it. Uh, that's got high, Yahweh, the highway, beanies, all that stuff. Uh, check out our affiliates um, and all that stuff. And that's about it, guys. I got some, we do again in January. I got a bunch of live dates in the Northeast, Cleveland, Pottstown, Pittsburgh. Go check that out. Batavia, Illinois. Go check that out. And uh, anything else, guys? Nope. New Broken All Sim. Right. Check that one out. Uh, check out Broken Sim. Check out everything. And uh, enjoy this episode. Uh, it's a deep dive into the Armenian Azerbaijan conflict. Enjoy. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. I've been wanting to do an episode on this issue, which is Armenia and what Azerbaijan is doing to them. Uh, so I'm very excited that we could do this. You know, this show is, uh, we 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 broke down the Armenian genocide, and I was really amazed at how many Armenians didn't know 
all the history. How many didn't even know about the Young Turks and all that stuff? So these shows are very important. Uh, I'm going to bring in our guest. Uh, he's a stand-up comic. He is uh, from... Uh, from Boston, I uh, did just did the Armenian bone marrow registry, and uh, it's good to have another arm at the comedy store. Please welcome Anthony Armorello. How are you, buddy? Good. Thanks for having me, y'all. I appreciate it. Uh, Anthony, real quick, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Ant Period Amorello. That's all my handles across all social media. Okay, perfect. And uh, we're very excited uh, to have him on. He's an expert in the subject, and we're we're glad he's here. Please welcome Vegan Papigian. How are you, sir? Good, good. Glad to be here. Glad to have met Anthony. He's a fellow Massachusetts-born guy. <laughs> yeah, we got so, some. We got some yeah. Massachusetts Armos here. Red we Sox, a, Bruins, Celtics, Patriots fans. Yeah, the you best guys have kind a good of Armenian, run. if you ask me. Yeah, that's right yeah, yeah. okay it's very interesting east coast armenians versus west coast armenians for sure when i moved here i thought i was white and then i got here and they're like no dude you're armenian you're not white i'm like okay my, a little different more eastern european on the west coast i think this is more persian in uh in in la and uh, um glendale but real quick uh, begin could you tell us a little bit about yourself and where our listeners can find you Sure, sure. I was uh, born in Boston. Um, I'm an attorney out here in California. I've been practicing for, I guess, 32 years now, more than half my life. Um, I've been very active with uh, the Armenian National Committee, the Armenian Legal Center, um, with local, county, state, national politics, international politics. I visited Armenia in 1993. I visited Artsakh, Nagorno-Karabakh saw firsthand what was going on there. The war was essentially over, but there was still some fighting. Um, so, you know, given my age and given my experience, I, I'm just kind of sometimes uh, in awe of what has transpired, not necessarily for the best uh, during these, you know, past four or five decades. It's it's kind of mind numbing. Okay. Do you have any social media or website that you would like? I, to I really don't. I, uh, I'm on Good Facebook. You, I, I take I troll people and you know the usual <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Good for you, brother. Good I, for you. I, I'm a different generation that gets looks at the computer and you know I'm trying to still figure out the difference between Twitter and Instagram and this kind of stuff. <laughs> Twitter is where they talk smack. Instagram's where they show the chichis. So okay, that's, well, that's, all right, I'll make sure to the, focus on the biggest differences. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I I grew up, I'm obviously Armenian. My mother, Bedorian Bedrosians, um, love them very much. Heard about the Armenian genocide from a very early age. Uh, you know, found out that my village of Vaughn is actually located in Turkey. Found out that on this show uh, recently. And my, my aunt Vicky was telling me about but that was from the village of Vaughn and that my great grandfather, my grandfather's father uh, saw his entire family get slaughtered in front of him and he, he escaped. And that's why I'm here today. So this issue is very important to me. Uh, the, the recognition of the Armenian genocide seems to have picked up lately uh, and probably for other reasons than Actually, people want to recognize a, a, a horrible, horrible time in humanity. Um, but here we are again. Something's going on in Armenia. Nobody's talking about it. The only one who seems to be talking about it is uh, Vavik, 
well, the 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 presidential candidate. So I thought it'd be important to have a you know that the all the people who listen to this show, which is a lot of people, uh, hear this story. So where would you like to start? Well, I guess I'll start in general terms. Um, I, I like to think of myself as a bit of a student of history, and um, there are times in history where basically a hundred years passes and nothing really significant happens, right? And then you have times in history where, like we li we're living in now, where like every decade, kind of the rules are changing. I mean, um, for instance, like 25 years ago, you understood what money was. Now you have cryptocurrency, this and that. And, you know, you're not even sure if your dollar has any value or whether you should invest in something that I still can't figure out where it exists, but it's out there and it's Bitcoin and this and that. I'm not sure how it has value, but I guess it does. And people become millionaires off it and so forth. Then you got, I don't know, the uh, when I was a kid, you got uh, two, two genders, right? And now my grandkids go to school and they're told they're like 69 different genders. I couldn't even begin to count them all. Um, you got warfare that keeps changing by the minute. Just for instance, as an aside, you, you look at what's going on in Ukraine where, you know, some estimates say there are at least 350 to 400,000 dead Ukrainian soldiers. I mean, we're talking about a massive slaughter. And just during the last year and a half of that war, Russia has kind of perfected its military operations where their drones are better, their drone uh, defense mechanisms are better, their armament is better, and NATO is also keeping pace with it. So even war from five years ago is a totally different creature, you know, and, and we're in the middle of this tumultuous time there, as usually is the case, whenever you go through these chaotic periods, who suffers, you know, the small countries, uh, the working class, the poor grunts in the, in the trenches, whether they're in Armenia or Artsakh or Kiev or wherever it may be, Eastern uh, Ukraine, Western Russia, um, and, you know, what I see going on, and I'm kind of segueing to what's going on in Armenia and Nagorno-Karabakh, Artsakh, and so forth, is that major, like, turmoil clash of cultures and empires playing itself out in different areas. So you got it playing out in Ukraine in a major way, you know, where NATO, Russia feels threatened, NATO wants to constantly expand for God knows what reason, because I remember... When the Soviet Union collapsed, everyone said, oh, the peace dividend, NATO's going to go away. Now, okay. all of a sudden, NATO keeps expanding, yeah. and Russia's paranoid about it, and rightfully so. And you yeah. have this just devastating war where we're spending, I think the last amount was showed over $200 billion have been sent to, um, to Ukraine to fight this war, at which, by the way, they're losing very badly. It's devastated the country. They're in debt. So, you know, that's one example. Then closer to home, the topic that we're here about today, you have uh, Armenia and Artsakh, you know, caught in the middle of this east-west clash where the West is trying to push Armenia away from Russia. The new leadership of Armenia is kind of rejecting Russia. They're paying a heavy, heavy price for that. Um, and, you know, we've lost Artsakh effectively which we have had Armenians continuously living there in the Gorno-Karabakh, Artsakh, for 3,000 years before the birth of Christ. 
Uh, now, as of what, September, October of 2023, just two months ago, we've witnessed literally an ethnic cleansing of 120,000 people that live there who are no longer there and which is just removing uh, people from their ancestral homeland, not of 100 years, 200 years, 500 years, 1,000. We're talking about 3,000 years. This is a calamity and a calamity that clearly hasn't been properly addressed um, by the media, has been ignored, has been kind of encouraged in its own way because of the battles between you know, the Western orientation, Europe and the United States and Russia. And the, it's the small countries that are kind of going to pay the price for it. And if you don't have competent leadership in those small countries, really savvy people that get it, you're going to get squashed. And that's exactly what happened to Armenia. That's exactly what we're seeing. And it's continuing, by the way. Okay, real um, quick before we sure. go on, uh, joining us as well. I'm very excited you could make it. Uh, please welcome Pedro Hadijin. Is did I say correctly, sir? Yes, sir. Okay, welcome. Uh, for those who may not be familiar with you, sir, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where they can find you? And then we'll we're just kind of setting up the 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 basic beginnings of this conflict. Um, I'm uh, Pedro Sajan. I'm a, I'm a I've been a long time chaplain of LA County Jails, and also. Activist, community activist for last 30 years and uh, have been activist in political activities also. That's who I am. Okay. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. We greatly appreciate it. So we've been setting up basically the, 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 the beginning of the conflict. One thing that I wanted to get into that really, you know, like there's this whole debate about, you know, whether... Trump, Trump, good guy, Trump, bad guy, Trump, outsider, Trump, insider, and all that stuff. But, you know, when you break down the money that was being sent, he was sending hundreds of millions of dollars to Azerbaijan while only sending, I think, about $10 million to the Armenians. So there has been this, you know, and I have a spiritual view of this. You know, you bring up that Armenia has been in this area for 3,000 years, Armenians. You know, to me, that you know, there's a real discussion based on some uh, archaeological archaeological uh, sites have been discovered that Armenia is like one of the like the the the, the beginning of humanity the you know the the birthplace of, of 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 a lot of human history and you know what is the role of trying to wipe all that away so we see that uh, the the West has a uh, big big uh, their thumb on the scale of, of the competitive balance between Armenia and Azerbaijan. Right. And let me say also uh, hi to Bedros. Hajan Bedros and I have known each other for decades. He does wonderful work in with at-risk uh, young people uh, in the jails and elsewhere. So Awesome, um, awesome, awesome. So thank you all for joining us. So where do you guys want to start? You kind of were laying down the... Uh, and Pedro, just jump in anytime you want if you have anything okay. you want to add. It. Um, so where do you want to? You were just laying down the history of what is and how it how it's being affected by what's happening right now. Right. I mean, I, I can go into like with, with the collapse of the Soviet Empire, the Armenians of Armenia and the Armenians of Artsakh uh, petitioned. 
under disguise of perestroika, if you remember, Gorbachev said openness, glasnost, you know, restructuring and so forth. So using the Soviet constitution, they said, we want to reunify with, with Armenia. Um, and there was a movement. It was kind of the first movement right before, democratic movement right before the collapse of the Soviet Union. I mean, it, it got major news at the time by the major networks and so forth. Um, and in response, the Azerbaijanis uh, uh, committed these horrible pogroms, massacres against Armenians in Baku and Sumgait and elsewhere. And that kind of escalated things and the war really started to come to fruition in 1991, where um, the Russian and Oman troops, the Azeri special forces, started to depopulate Armenians from uh, from Artsakh. And the Armenians put up a resistance. At first, it was kind of different groups of uh, fedais, of uh, freedom fighters, but it eventually turned into a more organized army. And from 92 to 94, it was very intense fighting. Um, and the Armenians em emerged victorious against all odds. I was in Washington, D.C. at the time, and I remember going to the State Department, the White House, the NSC, because the Soviet Union was falling apart and everyone wanted to know what was going on and how to how to handle it. And uh, they used to say you have no chance. The Azeris are more, you know, be have more weapons, have the support of um, of uh, mercenaries. And they did. They had Ukrainian uh, fighter pilots and helicopter pilots. They had Mujahideen fighting, Afghan Mujahideen. They had Chechens fighting with them. But the Armenians were very good fighters because they were also part of the, a lot of the commanders in Artsakh fought in Afghanistan during the Afghan war in the, in the 80s. So they were fairly um, experienced in warfare. And you know, despite all the odds in the early days, it didn't look good in 1992. But once the Armenians captured a very important strategic city of Shushi, uh, the Armenians were able to take control and, and win the war effectively in 94. And there was a peace uh, ceasefire and a maybe a, wow, a long time from 94 to 2020. There were occasional clashes. But Artsakh as a republic, first as the Republic of Nagorno-Karabakh and later as Republic of Artsakh was a de facto independent state. Um, Bedros, if you want to weigh in, I've covered a lot of things. Um, I have nothing more to say. It's just that uh, I want to make one correction in the opening, not you, the, the speaker, uh, the, the moderator, let's put it this way. The ho yeah, the host. The ho you, you, I'm talking about you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to make one correction. Trump, you said, sent hundreds of millions of dollars to Azerbaijan. I have a big disagreement on that. On that. Okay. He said, contrary, Democrats are sending, and Democrats basically voided the Section 907 and arming Azerbaijan right now, as we speak, Biden administration. Uh, so, First of all, if you're going to send money, I, I know they have to be approved by the Senate and Congress in the United States. No president sends money as he wishes. It has to be approved by uh, the Congress and Senate. Back then, during Trump, it was democratic. Democrats were in control. Let's put it this way. And again, I hate to, to break the news. It was not Trump. Trump... Um, 
he's not a holy man, but I I won't put a blame on him on that on that part. Okay, I respect that. I'll take the L on that, but I understand what you're saying for that, and I I'm fine corrected. I I just know that the U.S. government, whoever it was, was sending a lot more money to Azerbaijan. But I was probably incorrect, and I'll accept that. That okay, that I just one to, for the audience to understand what what was going on. Guys, real quick, I want to tell you about our boy James McMahon and Copy My Crypto. Let me tell you about Copy My Crypto. Guys, listen, we've seen so many people making ridiculous money from crypto. But did you know you could do the same? The Copy My Crypto membership site shows you the coins that YouTuber James McMahon personally holds and allows you to copy them. It's like having a big brother who knows what he's doing. You don't need to know a thing about crypto or how to invest as you simply do what he does. So let me tell you more about James. He runs Crypto with James YouTube channel, which despite heavy censorship has over 26,000 subscribers. Since March 2020, he told his viewers to buy 26 crypto coins. Had you put $100 in each of those coins, it went up to be worth $123,000. Of the 26 coins, his top pick of the year, a coin called Phantom, went up 692 times from when he said. That one call alone retired a number of people, including guys in their 20s and 30s. Remember, this is public knowledge. You can go to YouTube and verify this yourself. So if you'd like to join the 2,800, 2,800 members who copied James, then stop what you're doing and head right over to copymycrypto.com slash TFH. That's copymycrypto.com dot com forward slash tfh that's t f h you'll not only find proof of everything i said but my listeners get full access for just a dollar once again that's copymycrypto.com slash tfh the recession is here guys you can suffer like everyone else or choose to thrive james is the real deal go visit the site now um, and i i believe Trump would have helped during the Arsak War, the last 2020, if it was not for the newly selected or elected or appointed prime minister, the so-called peacemaker, let's put it this way, who's a globalist anti-Armenian. He's he, I don't even think he has one dime blood in his vein, Armenian blood. And who is this you're speaking of? The so-called prime minister, current prime minister of Armenia. Oh, really? So you, you don't think he has Armenian's best interests at heart? Not at all. He's completely globalist. He completely is pro uh, giving every... First of all, we had won the war. We had liberated, not captured, our lands back for thousands of years. And he came in, weakened the military, gave the lands back, just like that, and sacrificed 5,000 soldiers. Uh, so the, the the saying goes, Azerbaijan or Turkey can never beat Armenia. It had to be infiltrated within, and that's what they did. And I remember when that happened, people were like, why is he doing this? And, and people were very upset, and they kind of they wanted him out. I remember that because when System of Adan went there to do their the 100-year, the I believe, anniversary of the genocide, which was 1940, I think they did in 2015. Right. Uh, my girlfriend, 
produced that that concert. Right. And I believe that, and it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was right around then those things were happening, right? Like people were getting very upset with what the prime minister was doing. No, no, it was, I'm talking about 2020, actually. Okay. 2020. Yeah, he, he came to power about. in 2018 okay. uh, yeah. as this populist. Um, he, here's one of my problems, and I don't have any real issue with what Pedro said. In fact, I've been very critical of this guy from the beginning because I know his history. Um, but but here's the problem nowadays. They prop up, whether it's Saakashvili in Georgia, uh, Nigol Pashinyan in Armenia, uh, Zelensky in Ukraine, these kind of populists that just are one kind of cultivated and sponsored by Western powers. The, the kind of litmus test is if they're anti-Russian, then they're, they're good. But also as important is they're incompetent. You can't just take some guy without a, like a college education, without military experience, who's a failed newspaper editor of a tabloid newspaper, and all of a sudden say, even if he had the motivation to navigate treacherous waters. I mean, Armenia is caught between Georgia, Iran, Turkey, Azerbaijan, very hostile neighbors for the most part. I'm not including Iran in that, by the way, because Iran is <laughs> the most reliable neighbor for Armenia. Um, and, and finesse that, you know, and they're just out of their league. And you, you had that in Georgia where they poked their finger in Russia's eye and they paid a price for it. They had in, in Ukraine. Look at what's happening. I mean, you had Victoria Nuland from, uh, on behalf of the United States emissary during these uh, Ukrainian revolutions and so forth, handing out cookies, you know, as, uh, to the protesters and so forth. And now you have a Ukraine, Ukraine that's, I mean, on the verge of collapse. I mean, people don't understand how far gone that country is. The Russians have taken over the infrastructure, has bombed out the other infrastructure, and, and so forth. So, you know, getting back to Bedros's point, Armenia is in a real tough neighborhood. This isn't, yes. you know, uh, Canada or something, okay? They're in a tough neighborhood and they need a savvy leader that knows how to play superpower against superpower and manage their relationships. And this guy came in with neither the ability or the motivation to do that competently. And because of that, Armenia is now still paying the price. So that that that's my feeling. And I've said it for years. What is God? Sorry. I agree with, with that 100 percent What is Russia's relationship with Armenia. I mean, um, I could, go ahead, Bedros. I, no, I no, go ahead. ahead. I will listen. Well, I mean, look, Russia has, uh, Russia is an empire. It has its interests. It's looking for reliable allies. Armenia is the uh, connects, let's say, Russia on a north-south axis to the Middle East through Iran. Uh, the Turks have always had. Uh, this pan-Turkic uh, aspirations to go from east to west, Turkey, all the way to Armenia, to Azerbaijan, the Caspian Sea, and eventually Central Asia, from which they came, by the way. Okay, so uh, Armenia was always very strategic. It was caught between that east-west, north-south axis. And Russia, you know, was, was predominantly supportive of Ar Armenia because they also understood it to be in their interest because it connected them again. It didn't isolate them uh, from the south, from Iran and the oil and so forth in, in the Middle East. 
Um, but when Pashinyan came to power, he did everything he could to alienate Russia. Russia, you know, is going to do what's in their interest. They also can be very duplicitous. They had side deals with Turkey. Russia and Turkey have periodically very open and cooperative. And at the same time, they, they kill each other in places like Syria and elsewhere. You know, their troops are like shelling each other. Um, it's a brutal game. It takes a very, very uh, adept politician to navigate those treacherous waters. And unfortunately, Armenia doesn't have it. But Russia's interests are, it's hard to say this is Russia's interest. It, it's evolving. They do what is necessary for them to keep their um, sphere of influence, just like the United States does what it is necessary to keep their sphere of in influence in Central America, South America, wherever it is, whether it's Cuba, Guatemala, whatever, wherever it is. And we've Panama, we've, we've seen the result of that. So, you know, uh, Russia is, I, I would say, in a very acrimonious position with Armenia right now that's brought on by the present Armenian leadership that has, you know, courted the West and goes as recently as a week or two ago to the European Union saying, essentially, we'll do whatever you want. We just want peace. We want closer ties to Europe and so forth. Well, as an Armenian, the born in America, I mean, I'm, my, my tastes are decidedly Western and American. Um, I know my history and I know that in 1918, uh, the West, Woodrow Wilson, made all these promises to the Armenians, the mandate, they were going to have their historic homeland and so forth. Right. And we were abandoned. And we were left to the marauding Turks and Ataturk to come from the East and try and take us over. And the newly founded Soviet Union and the communists coming from the South to, to quash Armenia. And this was a country that was also at maybe 40% effectiveness because half the population or more was wiped out in the genocide. So there was famine, there was flu, you know, and they were they were ended up fighting both the Turks and the uh, the Russians, the communists more, more correctly. And uh, they barely survived it. They had to become a Soviet state. Um, and it was a brutal occupation of Armenia. Um, but, you know, that's the reality. So for them to now turn around and say, you know, for the Armenian government to say, hey, we welcome Western assistance, the United States and so forth. It may have some appeal to us as Americans, as people who live in the West, as proud Americans and so forth. But history tells us all, what are you going to do? You didn't do anything for us in 2020. You didn't do anything for us during the 11 months of blockade where you, you allowed mm -hmm. Azerbaijan to blockade 120,000 people where they had in the winter and the mountains and so forth, no electricity, no food, uh, no internet and so forth. And now all of a sudden we're supposed to say, hey, thanks for the European, European uh, uh, loans and everything and money. Uh, and we're going to cast our lot with you and you kind of spit in the eye of Russia, which has even a greater ability and interest in the Caucasus than America and Europe can ever have. So, you know, there, there's uh, Russian interests are, are varied. It's as cold and brutal as American interests or Chinese interests or European interests. They are what they are. So, again, it takes kind of a, a clever leader to navigate those waters. And we don't have it. So I've been following this. I, I grew up in Whitensville, Mass. I, I went to an Armenian church. I went to Camp Hyastan. That's where I got 
all of my knowledge and then you know i follow as we go in 2020 i thought that at least my understanding was russia was almost a, a protector almost like they were somewhat supposed to back us up military wise and since they've retreated all of their uh bases i guess and then i also read the other day that we are getting like military weapons and by we i mean armenia uh from like france and india so is it a thing where russia is now just saying they think armenia might not be there long enough for them to care about their relationship or is that am i misreading this yeah i mean look russia is not giving up on armenia russia may be punishing armenia they may be manipulating armenia but they have their interests there they're going to keep their interests there the weapons promised by France, great, but you got to first learn how to use the weapons, just like NATO weapons sent to Ukraine. I mean, you have right. to be able to service the weapons. Um, it takes years for them to learn how you know to use those weapons. The most of the weapons um, that Armenia has and Artsakh had were Russian weapons. They'll continue to be Russian weapons uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, I think. Uh, I don't think Russia's abandoned Armenia. I don't think everyone says, well, Russia is going to overthrow the Pashinyan government. Well, they sure can if they wanted to, and they haven't so far. So what their calculation is, I don't know. I just right. know that, you know, they, they're not going anywhere. Just like, you know, if let's say, I don't know, Panama or Belize ended up being anti-American and pro-Russian, you'd see a lot of manipulations by the United States to make sure that that government doesn't remain um, and that, you know, they remain in their U.S. orbit. And and we, we you know, in the 50s and 60s, the CIA and other uh, agencies, you know, we invaded Grenada, for God's sakes, you know, if, if you guys remember that not so long ago during the Reagan uh, years. So we've always kind of allowed things to develop to a certain extent. But even if it was a legitimate grassroots uh democratic change in government if it was anti-american in our hemisphere it probably wasn't going to last long the only exception is cuba and cuba is totally isolated i mean right you know, it's so so i've been um obviously paying attention to this and one of the we talk about russian weapons armenia but a lot of people are, have been talking about israeli selling high-end weapons to Azerbaijan. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Because I always found it very interesting. And again, this is a conspiracy podcast. I don't want to go too deep with you guys in terms of somewhere maybe you don't want to go. But, you know, Israel for the longest time did not recognize the Armenian genocide, and which, every, which I found, even as a young child, very weird because you know, it's a, it's basically a country that was founded off of a horrific genocide and whatever the details of that may be. But I found it always found it very weird that Israel never, ever, ever recognized the Armenian genocide. And a lot of people talk it was geopolitical, but, you know, now they're selling weapons to Azerbaijan. What, what are the thoughts on that? Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Well, yeah. I can words what Israel is doing doing in the region against the Armenians is a genocide 
promoting genocide against a small Christian nation. Uh, and they're basically showing their true faces, who they are, and what they can do, and what they're about. So basically, this is, I will go to this, you may call it conspiracy theory. I'm sure you've heard of the Greater Israel Plan, yes. which is Syrian plan. And Israel claims that our homeland, Artsakh, belongs to them. So they're creating a new Israel there. That's that's the whole motive behind it. So when, when Azerbaijanis say Western Azerbaijan, which is Armenia, uh, it, it's, it's actually Israeli plan in all legality. And they, they're, they're the ones who first recognized so-called Hojalu genocide. There was no such a thing. Israeli government. And uh, they, they, they promote uh, Azerbaijan left and right, the dictator, the brutal criminal dictator. They, the same Israel who promoted ISIS in Artsakh, ISIS fighters went through Turkey to kill the Armenian soldiers. So, I mean, here's, here's, a, here's a puzzle. Who are they? They're enemies to humanity to me. That's it. They're enemies and they perpetrate, they, they create genocide and they cry over their history. That's not right. A pe anybody that has seen a Holocaust would never promote a genocide. That's that's what I'm saying. I, I concur very much. And there's some deep, deep, deep conspiracies on the relationship between Israel and Turkey and you know, some of the founders of Israel. Far if you go back far enough, they're they're Turkish. It's very interesting. And they're Domes, crypto Jews. Ataturk was a crypto Jew. He was not a Turk. Yeah, man. I mean, we hear that all the time. Anybody well, else have any theories? Well, thoughts well, on well that? let me say this too. You know, Israel is the tenth biggest exporter of arms in the world. I mean, people don't know that. Um, U.S. is by far the biggest. They export like forty percent of all the world's uh, military arms. Then you have a lot of European countries, Russia's second, but they're a distant second. China's in there too, but Israel is as well. And it's a big source of money for Israel, uh, the development and exporting of weapons. Um, also remember that Ukraine was sending weapons to Azerbaijan as well, that phosphorus bombs and things that were used against civilians in Artsakh. Um, right. So this is kind of a brutal world. I mean, you look at what's going on in Ukraine right now and at the expense of probably half a million dead people and God knows how many injured and, and displaced people, you know, Raytheons and General Dynamics and whatnot are making unprecedented profits and they'll continue to make it for God knows how long that these perpetual wars continue. Um, it's big business. War is big business. And think of it this way too. They, you take those weapons and they use it in battlefield conditions. Now they're testing the weapons and see how they perform. These are a, a lot of these weapons are um, kind of new and untested. So they they see how they're in cold weather. They see the effect of them, you know, in battlefield conditions, the amount of deaths and so forth. So all that data is being kind of uh, used to create more lethal weapons. 
But the, while, let's say, the U.S. and Israel and, you know, other countries, European countries, France is a huge exporter of weapons and so forth, the Russians are doing the same thing and they're adapting faster. And at this point, the Russians have far more armored vehicles and tanks than NATO combined. NATO's uh, weaponry is kind of depleted, sending it to, to Ukraine and getting destroyed. Um, so, you know, th there's... There's a lot of fingers in this. It's a very brutal, cynical game that you would hope in a better world, a country like Israel can say, hey, you know what? We've suffered Holocaust. This is a genocide. We cannot participate in it. But that, that isn't a calculation. This whole idea of human rights and democracy and so forth is a weapon. It's not re a reality. U.S. supports and praises Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Azerbaijan. These are all the most undemocratic human rights abuse of countries in the world. If we were really interested in those things, these things, we wouldn't be supporting them, but we're not. We only use it when the leaders of those countries are, let's say pro Russian or pro Chinese or whatever it is in order to topple them. But if they're pro American and so forth, I, I think it was Truman who said that person may be a son of a bitch, but he's our son of a bitch. You know, <laughs> yes. I don't know if it was Truman or, or who it was. Um, and that's something that goes back, you know, a hundred years, probably. Uh, yeah. So Israeli so, sales are just Israeli arms sales is a big issue right now on college campuses. That's why they want to ban BDS because if you allow BDS on campus, these colleges people don't know this, but they basically take their their they take all their profits from tuitions after they pay their bills they put it into a trust it's ran by the board of trustees they invest in hedge funds mm -hmm. and most of those hedge funds invest in in military industrial complex um and you know if you if you allow these campuses to boycott any business with Israel that's going to hurt the military industrial complex and that's a big thing going on so now you have Israel supplying supplying uh, wow i didn't even i've I, I know i've heard of the greater israeli pro israel project but i didn't know it included armenia which upsets me very much and that this is allowed to happen that this group that has that is defined by their their generational suffering is allowing genocide to happen somewhere else and not only that but they're testing their newest weapons on that it infuriates me yeah, can i say something what yes, what sir. if if I was the prime minister of Armenia, I would reopen weapons facilities, build weapons, and ship it to Palestine. What goes around comes around. That's what I believe in. I mean, yeah. in the world, they, they're talking about business. Okay, that's all business. It's nothing, you know. Now, why can't we do it? But if we did it, we would be condemned all over the world by all governments said Armenia is supporting terrorism. Well, they're supporting terrorism. Pan-Turkism is terrorism. And Israel is guilty of a crime against Armenians. But specifically, we should not have any fear to speak the truth. Be called anti-Semite, whatever. The truth shall prevail. That's what I believe in. I concur. That's the whole point of the, this well, show, let, not let just me, this episode, but past shows Sam, as well. Sam, let me say something. Look. I think most of us remember that when Eisenhower left office, Kennedy assumed office, he gave the speech about the fear of the military industrial complex, right? Uh, and he said, it's getting too strong. And originally his first draft talked about the military industrial 
con congressional complex, how it's a cabal even with members of Congress. And he said, this is, this is threatening. And now remember who Eisenhower was. He was the leader of the largest military, a commander of the largest military force in human history in D-Day. I mean, this is a military man through and through. And he saw the dangers of what's going on, and we're seeing it today. But what people don't know, and I just want to read this because it's really important. He made a speech in 1953. This is like seven years before his famous uh, speech as he left office. And, and it's considered, it's called the Cross of Iron speech. I don't know if you've ever heard this. He gave a speech. He said, every gun that is made, every warship launched, every rocket fired signifies in the final sense a theft from those who hunger and are not fed, those who are cold and not clothed. He said, the world in arms is not spending money alone. It's spending the sweat of its laborers, the genius of its scientists, the hopes of its children. The cost of one modern heavy bomber, this is 1953, is this, a modern brick school in more than 30 cities. It's two electric power plants, each serving a town of 60,000 population. It's two fine, fully equipped hospitals and so forth. Then he says, this, I repeat, the best way, this is, I repeat, the best way of life to be found on the road the world has been taking. This is not a way of life at all in any true sense. Under the cloud of threatening war, it is humanity hanging from a cross of iron. I mean, this is one of the great speeches that people tend to miss. And this is 1953 made by the ultimate military man that warned against this proliferation of weapons and the and the cost of humanity uh, to humanity. Um, and it's as much a reality today and a problem today as it was in 1953, which is what? 50, I mean, what, 70 years ago? Yeah, 100%. And just the death machine, they supply both sides. Uh, and, and even if you have like different sides that like Russia, versus American mill they're they're all making money off these conflicts and they have a mutual you know goal for each other which is to line their pockets so they love these kind of conflicts that cause them to you know they got to dump these weapons somewhere i mean look at what happened in afghanistan they just left all those weapons there and what what do you think is going to happen to those weapons you know they're falling in the hands of the taliban or they could easily make their way to ukraine Hundreds uh, of millions of dollars in weapons or probably billions sent to Ukraine that found its way on the black market. I mean, where and, half the and, weapons aren't even getting there. And if you take a look at all the 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 aid that we send, when you send aid to Ukraine, you're not sending all of it to the Ukraine. You're 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 cutting up a little sliver off it. Here you go, Ukraine. Here's some cash for you. Then the rest of that money goes to Raytheon. Boeing and all these military industrial complex uh, companies that use that to basically make weapons to send to the Ukraine. It's it, people have no clue how their government works, which is a big part of the dumbing down of America. They don't want you to be able to participate in your government. They want you to show up every four years, you know, press a button and then get a sticker and move on with your yourself so you're not paying attention to what's going on is azerbaijan muslim they're, they're um shiite muslims i think Bedros, yeah. right yeah, yeah they're shiite muslims yeah yes. and in in turkey they're mostly sunni muslims and right. but they get along 
which <clears throat> normally they tend not to. On on most levels, they get along. But to, to think that the same is kind of a mistake. They have common interests. Uh, but they're, you know, like every, it, it's not a good idea to lump them all together. Just like you can't say, oh, Arabs in the Middle East. I mean, Iranian Persians are very different than Egyptians or different than Iraqis and, and Syrians and Lebanese and so forth. Um, they're very distinct people. So it's kind of like sloppy or lazy just to lump them together. But the Turks have always had aspirations of building an empire. It, it caused the Armenian genocide. It was the root of the Armenian genocide. And it exists today. I remember when Erdogan uh, first came to power, he said the 21st century will be known as the Turkic century. And he openly right. talked about Turkic influence from sea to sea to, through Central Asia all the way, you know, east. And that it, it continues. They want to be the kind of the the Arab uh, or sorry, Muslim um, uh, powerhouse. And every time there's been like a leader that has become a kind of leader of the Muslim world, they've been toppled. You go back to um, Nasser in Egypt, then you have the Shah in Iran, you have Saddam Hussein, who was kind of the, the power, the you know, the muscle in and each one have been toppled. Um, and Erdogan wants to be, you know, that the leader of the Muslim world. Um, and they're playing some clever games, but very brutal games as Turks are want to do. Taking so, in consideration, there is no country called Azerbaijan till 1918. It was the same young Turks and Bolsheviks that created Turkey, created Azerbaijan, the same powers behind. Uh, those ethnic groups are Lesbians, Avar, Talish, Udis, Tats. Those are the people living in that area. Now, there is a race called Azerbaijan, Azers, which were which live in Iran, actually, northern Iran, if I'm not mistaken. That's the real Azerbaijan, that they don't exist in the current Azerbaijan. The current Azerbaijan is, are the people of Kovkas, which are lesbians of our Talish, and they've been Turkified, let's put it this way. So there is no country called Azerbaijan. It's a mere creation of, uh, again, the same powers created Israel, the same powers created Turkey, the same powers created uh, um, Azerbaijan. It's this exactly the same power that created it, the Young Turks. Yes, and the Young Turks were Bolsheviks. A lot of people talk about that, what... The Bolsheviks right. did to the Russia, and I right. believe they're currently doing to the United States. So this this current um, movement, right? This current conflict, this kicks off from what around 2015. Uh, the current conflict is no way, way before 1989, 88. Okay, uh, what 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 kicks that off? And then can you, can you take me through the timeline of that? It's just so people have an understanding of how long this is going on and w what caused it. Uh, this, this, what caused it is the creation of Azerbaijan in Turkey, 1920, let's put it this way. Before that, there was no Turkey. There was an Os Os Ottoman Empire, which was a different aspect, of, which was in control of Palestine. And they had to overthrow uh, the Ottoman Empire from Palestine in order to take it 
make it into British quarter and create State of Israel. It's a long story if we go way back. Yes, you know. that's that's one hundred percent true. Uh, the Balfour also, Doctrine. Keep in mind that um, in nineteen twenty one or t right around nineteen eighteen, uh, there was the short lived Armenian Republic. There was a mm -hmm. newly created, like Bedro said, uh, Azerbaijani state. They both laid claim, uh, Armenia rightfully so, over what is today Artsakh. Um, the Soviets who wanted to, and Lenin, uh, who wanted to curry favor with Turkey, um, put Artsakh in control of Azerbaijan, the administrative control of Azerbaijan, even though it was vastly uh, populated by Armenians. And it was really Joseph Stalin who wasn't who at that time was the commissar of nationalities i think that's what he was called who made that decision in 1923 but during that whole period the kind of conflict from the time of 1923 almost the creation of the soviet union to like 1988 that bedros mentioned artsakh was occupied by armenians it was kind of bullied by the administrators azerbaijan so it was a frozen conflict so after the breakup of the Soviet Union, Armenia going through the Soviet constitution and so forth, petition for the unification of Armenia and Artsakh. And um, that set off a series of events where Armenians were slaughtered in Azerbaijan and Baku had to leave. Uh, there was a war from 91 to 94, Armenia won. And really what you see today is a continuation of that. This is this is all related. This is all related to empires, empires wanting to exert their control, in this case, Turkey, Russia wanting to keep its control over the Caucasus and so forth. Um, and it's like I said at the beginning, the small countries are usually ones that pay the price and the people, you know, in those countries. So that's what we're seeing. It's all playing out. It's all related in Armenia and the Caucasus, maybe in a kind of a, a, a way that isn't cap hasn't captured the imagination or the attention of public at large, but un unlike, let's say, Ukraine, but this is all the same thing. I mean, Ukraine's kind of a made-up state too, by the way. Ukraine and, and Russia's are essentially the same people. I mean, they're the same people. My, my wife said, you know, because she was born in the Soviet Union, uh, when Russia invaded Ukraine, he, she said it's like Armenia invading Artsakh. You know, I mean, that's how uh, common these people are. Uh, and it was a manipulation and kind of arrogance on behalf of NATO and the West that pushed Putin, not to justify his acts, but put, pushed Putin to um, to respond in a very brutal way that's continuing till today. But it's all part of this clash of empires. Um, and again, it's also know, about erasing history, I think, as well. There's a lot of history in Armenia that, again, going back to timelines. I think they just want to annihilate. There seems to be, like you say, when the Azerbaijan didn't exist, you know, that's actually somewhere else. And now suddenly they put Azerbaijan right there on territory that's Armenia, that they're just trying to rewrite our history. And that's a big part of this kind of uh, demonic view that the elites have, which is a, like this kind of um, Marxist <clears throat> view of like changing our history. So, older generations can't give younger generations knowledge to help them in their life. Everything's about flipping it new, flipping it new, flipping it new. You see it a lot in Hollywood, taking these old characters, making them new looking characters. So 
there's no connection between older generations and younger generations. So they just keep changing the map around. So nobody knows if they're coming or going. And it just, it's, and again, it goes back to territories and then who wants to control what. And Israel's to me is just a giant, uh, you know, is a land bridge, which allows them to do goods from Africa and Asia into Europe. And they, they make it into a religious war. And what the, what's happening there in Gaza is just absolutely disgusting. And you have these ethnic cleansing anywhere. I think that's a big part of what's going on in Ukraine as well. There's a it's giant ethnic cleansing going on to clear out a lot of people because you'll probably have a new group of people move in there. That's my humble opinion. I agree with you 100% on that. There's evil elite that control the world. They want to depopulate the world. They're creating all this chaos in order to make one race, one ethnic group, one religion. And the center of it is Jerusalem, unfortunately. That's where it's coming from. And what's going on around right now, including Turkish, the Turkic races are gypsies. It was just a language. They don't, there is, there is no such a race. So basically they made it to a race. Back in Os Ottoman Empire, it was an insult to call somebody Turk. It was a profanity. Did you know that? I did not. You were not supposed to call somebody a Turk. It was an insult. They made that insult into dignity, into race. Let's put it this way. Inversions. Right. So that's that, that's what we're, we that's what we're facing. Uh, we're facing, for example, I want to say something. Many Armenians, 90% Armenians, were happy when Biden said the word Armenian genocide. I was one of the unhappiest person because he was using us. He used the word to basically attract people and get it on his side. It means nothing. After he used the word, we lost everything. It didn't do us a favor, basically. Yeah. I mean, like, well, I'm. there was... So, I mean... What are your thoughts on that? A lot of the 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 movement was because, like you said, the Senate was Democratic and Trump was pro-Israel that they wanted to do this as a sign to kind of stick it to Trump. Do you have any thoughts on that? I don't think it was anything against Trump because he was out of office already. But this was because Armenians were switching on the Democrat Party. They were waking up. What have Democrats done to Armenians? I mean, it's a different subject. They made us into ghetto society in the United States. They've destroyed us. They destroyed our family values. They drugged our kids. They destroyed our kids in public schools. That's what Democrats have done. They've done to uh, African-Americans, Latinos, the same thing to Armenians. So they wanted to get popularity again. Best way to do is play with our emotions, use the word genocide. Oh, we recognize the genocide. But recognizing genocide means nothing without returning of the lands. Most of Turkey is Armenia. Does Biden acknowledge that? No. Does Biden acknowledge Artsakh is Armenia? No, he doesn't. So it's just a word game. Well, well, let me say two things. One, I've worked in Washington, D.C. Uh, I was there originally during the Reagan years, went back after law school during the... Uh, Clinton years, early Clinton years. Um, 
presidents don't make foreign policy. They don't run foreign policy. It's run by intelligence agency, National Security Council, defense people, and so forth. Okay. Um, when it comes to the issue of Armenian genocide, just like every other human rights issues that I discussed earlier, it's just a bargaining chip. It's a it, it's a way of placating, you know, whatever or denigrating someone else. I remember when I was I was uh, there the first time is 1985-86. Uh, George Schultz, who was the Secretary of State under Reagan, very powerful guy, went to Turkey. The Turks gave him a hard time over something, and he said, "Well, maybe next time we'll recognize the Armenian genocide." You know, next time the bill is it comes up for uh, consideration in Congress. And I was a kid. I was like 25 years old. I'm thinking, oh, my God, when did he change his his position? So he was just using it as a bargaining chip. Now, yeah. fast forward to you know, Biden saying the words Armenian genocide. Like Bedros, I knew that was a bad sign. Why? Because it was a trade off. They were going to say, look, past is the past. We said genocide. It's over. And now you got to give up all these other things for the, in the interest of peace. You got to give up Artsakh. It's not really your land anyway. Were you really going there? Not so much. And look, now you're going to do trade with Turkey. Everything's going to be fine. Commerce makes everything fine. So I knew that that was kind of like the the carrot, you know, uh, throw, throw, you know, a few coins at the Armenians. Uh, and the, the price to pay was going to be Artsakh. It was going to be Armenian sovereignty and independence. And people don't understand as early as the First World War, when very capable generals like General Duro and Antranik uh, were doing incredible things, fighting and defeating Turks, they had said Artsakh, the existence of Artsakh, of Nagorno-Karabakh, is there to protect Armenia proper. That without Artsakh, Armenia is vulnerable. Okay, so it wasn't Armenia protecting Artsakh as most as much as Artsakh protecting Armenia's viability in existence. And now that has been severely, severely undermined. And, you know, things were resilient people. We've been around several thousand years. We'll be around for several thousand more, God willing. But, um, you know, we're at a crossroads. And we have been dealt a very, very major uh, setback. And the government in, in charge of Armenia has no inclination or ability to do anything about it other than sink us deeper in a, in a hole. So, you know, unfortunately, that's the reality. So, so where do, what do we think is going to happen next? Like, what can we, can we do anything? Is there anything that we could do? I mean, with the show's getting the word out, but what, what is something that we, we can do? Well, I mean, my feeling always is, you know, people ask me, and this is when I used to kind of advocate for the Armenian Genocide Resolution long before it passed. They said, what are the chances of us winning? I'm like, well, the chances of us winning are much greater if we do something than we do nothing at all, because then I can guarantee you failure, you know. Um, you know, one constant in history is change. As Armenians, you kind of have to prepare yourself to be that change to take advantage of that change. And the world is going to change. You look at a map of Europe. Look at a map, the Google, Europe 1913. Look at Europe today. Does it look anything the same? Countries' borders have changed. And the people that have benefited from that are the people that were either part of that change or prepared for that change. 
Armenia has to be that if it wants to survive. You look at, you know, the, the countries of the Middle East and Africa, that same period. Half these weren't even countries. You know, you look at the borders, they're square. No country's borders are really square. They're artificial borders, right? And they're going to change again. This idea of territorial integrity, what exists today as, I don't know, Great Britain is going to exist that way for the rest of, of time. It just isn't the case. What I'd say to Armenians is learn your history, all right? And, you know, understand what's in Armenia's best interest and see how it fits in the geopolitical reality and be prepared and and build the, the grassroots and build the next generation to not fail where we have failed. Anyone else have any other thoughts as we wrap it up here? Well, thank you for inviting. It's a long subject. Um, I personally don't have anything else to say. I hope we are going to survive. Our future generations will know the history of what happened to us and we'll fight back. That's all I can say. All right. I love that. Anything, Anthony, you want to jump in? I mean, uh, I learned a lot. You guys uh, really opened my eyes to a lot of stuff as far as uh, Israel and everything uh, in that regard. I had no idea about any of that. And uh, I just, thanks for having me. And yeah, I just think the best thing anybody can really do from America anyways is stay informed and, uh, you know, you know, be be the best, survive and be the best person you can, I guess. I don't know. Be Make a represent Armenia in a good way. But thanks for having me. No problem. I, you know, for e me, man, my final thoughts here on this, and if either of you guys want to jump in too, uh, you can. Yeah. But, you know, it's just like, for me, man, it's just like, I think Americans really have to understand that we're getting to a point in our history where we have taxation without representation. And we have a we have a captured government that is doing things to the rest of the world that I are unspeakable, whether it's selling a selling arms or giving aid and all that stuff. And whether, you know, we're we have a welfare state in the Middle East, right in the middle of it, named Israel, that we send all this all of this uh foreign aid to. Uh, and we're allowing them to do some stuff that's unspeakable. And I'm sorry. Like, I know people are going to get upset, and this is a very sensitive time. But as an Armenian, I see what they're doing, and I have a right to speak out about it. I have a right to say Israel is selling weapons as allowing the slaughter of my people, and I'm not going to stand for it. And I'm going to call them out for it. And I call out, you know, like, I am anti-war, and I've always been anti-war. So, you know, even though I tend to disagree with most things that liberal people on college campuses have to say, I agree with them about Gaza. And just because th they think that doesn't mean I shouldn't automatically not think that. Just because the person you don't agree with think agrees with you doesn't mean that what you're thinking is wrong. It just means here at this time, a broken clock is right twice a day. You know what I'm saying? So for me, it's just like, I'm not going to sit back because of something that happened in Germany a long time ago and allow a group of people that have defined themselves by that horrible act to commit horrible acts on other people. I'm just not going to do it. And I, I speak up for Jews. 
I know a lot of Jews. I live with a Jew. I love her very much. I love her family very much. And I think most Jews don't even know what's going on. And most Jews are just trying to live their life and be happy. But, you know, you have this very much this this weaponized uh, group of Zionists that have I have a belief in a greater Israel project and they'll do it by any means possible. And I'm just not going to sit here and be quiet with it. I believe Israel has a right to exist. I love Jews. Jews are like Italians. Jews are like Armenians. Jews okay. are just family oriented, hardworking people. But just like every Abrahamic religion, they have some very, very uh, extremists. And we talk about Muslim extremists. We talk about Christian extremists. And a lot of people don't want to talk about Jewish extremists. And I think that's just wrong. And I think that we have some yeah. Talmud Jews, some Zionists out there. They have some very strong opinions on how the rest of the world should be treated. And I think that that we do a real disservice to everybody, including our Jewish brothers and sisters, if we don't talk about that stuff. So what's going on right now is unnecessary, like 99% of the wars out there. So I want to push back on that and say to everybody here, thank you for coming on. Thank you for Xavier Guerrero for staying up. And I want <laughs> to thank everybody for, for um, being a part of this. It's a, it's a different kind of discussion, but it's a very important discussion. And uh, I just want to say thank you guys so much. If you want to contact anybody on this show, uh, their links are below. So you can find them and ask them anything you want if you want to further the discussion. So uh, to you guys, I say uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New is there, Year. Is there anywhere they can donate? Anywhere you guys recommend? Yeah, is there anywhere you guys think we should go? We could find more information. I, I found a website that has the timeline of this conflict. I will include it in there. And uh, is there anywhere they can go to? So show support and help. I would just say the Armenian Relief Society. It's an international organization over 100 years old. Uh, they're doing a lot of uh, work with the Armenian refugees, the homeless Armenian refugees that have been uh, kind of removed from their ancient homeland or now kind of, you know, living in impromptu uh, settings in Armenia. Okay, I so found a link that will be included below. Gentlemen, thank you so much and greatly appreciate it and we will talk to you soon, and please enjoy these highlights. Hey, stay with us. Here's a clip from Broken Simulation. Go. What's the? You got more fun with stupid? Yeah, you sent me this. This is. I didn't watch this because it looked like it was really funny, and I didn't want to. Uh, I wanted to get my reaction to it live. So it's this guy. It looks like he's been busted for shoplifting in maybe like oh a CVS my, Johnny, or a Walgreens. This or is the most insane video you will ever watch in your life. Okay. All right. This me, is nuts. Let me get this ready. There are no rules, bro. There are no rules. Listen, this is like whether whether it is like uh you know uh um a guy taking in the butt in the Senate or Kobe Covington talking about somebody's dead parents or or this. There are no more rules to the society. We've lost them all. They're gone. <laughs> Watch this. Okay, here it is. Watch this. So they catch this guy fucking shoplifting. They're bringing him to an area because they caught him. Look what he does. Johnny, look what he does. Okay. Look, he's fighting. So he's I just fighting. want to describe it. Set it up just a little bit. Okay, so this is like loss prevention specialists. They're like plainclothes people that work in these department stores, and they go around and try to bag shoplifters. And it looks like, like you said, they're dra it's two men dragging this smaller guy uh, in an orange to shirt to a room or something yeah and then now his shirt's kind of coming up and let's see what's happening here he's falling down 
Johnny reaches oh. back in the back of his pants. Oh. And he rubs shit all over his face. What a dude, that's the ultimate self-defense move right there. Why don't they teach that in Krav Maga? This is Johnny, brilliant. By the this way, guy's a genius. I've done He's, a joke about this as well. This whole thing is jokes I've done before. By the way, I've talked about fighting terrorists on a plane shitting my pants. And by the way, <laughs> I have I have now probably about three albums that talk about me almost shitting my pants on an airplane. <laughs> that's too much, dude. That, dude, this is the no. Skunk it response. almost happens almost every year. I almost shit my pants on a plane. I've never once had to use number two on an airplane. Never. You've never, never once had a mud cat looking for daylight, Johnny. No, my body, dude, knows when I'm on an airplane. It's like, all right, we're sh- I don't pee on the plane and I don't go poo on the plane. What my you have a says, program that stops you from wanting to produce? My brain just knows from you I producing sleep. poop and pee. Yeah, I just sleep. I just go to sleep, dude. I get in that window seat and sleep. Um, that's you're almost a, you're you should be you have your own Marvel movie. That's like that's some <laughs> that's super hey, human hey, hey, I did I did hold it for uh, a full week at Space Camp. So I don't uh, believe that story. I got my Space but Camp John, hat around. But John, so this guy, do you think he shit his pants because he forced himself to, well, or do you think he thing. shit his pants because that's the thing? Isn't he was it? so scared, like. The again, there are no rules in society. This guy's shoplifting, he gets busted. So it's already no no. So you were committing a no no. Okay, so look. So he goes for his the back of his pants way earlier in this. Like look, he's already going for his pants right here. Look at that. So it, halfway through this video. Yeah, right there. He either, right there's the first sign. He's either that- already crapped himself or he knows I'm about to pop pop some poo out here, squeeze out some turds. And I got to I think at it. that point he's already shit his pants cuz he's going back to the reach in there. Here's my thing though. Why does he put it on his own face? Why does he put it on Be- them? Johnny, the surest way to stop a crazy situation is to out crazy everybody. <laughs> Look at this dude. You have Look. to be crazier than everybody else. These guys are like, "Oh, we're tough. We got this little skinny dude." And oh, then no, he just pulling. takes the This poop. is where he poos, dude. Look, right here. Watch. He squats down. Look. That's where he's doing it. Right there. See how he's kind of getting in the squat position? Right here. Yeah, he's like, got to get it out. Bang. Yeah, so he did it on purpose. He did it on purpose. What a genius. Look at them. I want to hear TED Talks from this guy. Look. (laughs) Yeah, and he's like, okay, we're out. Oh, the smells, bro. The smells. The smells. The smells. Look at his face. You can't even see his face. It's just a brown smudge. so the question is, how oh. long did he go? Look at him rubbing with it that in. poop on his face. Oh God! Oh my God, dude! And he doesn't run off either. He just strolls off. Does a little off. fall off in the ground right there? Oh, it, oh my God, dude. dude! This is the funniest dude, thing I've so- ever seen in my life, dude. This is so funny. Oh. What a badass! This oh. look at this look at this guy down here hiding. He's like. He went from dude. That's like, like Black Houdini right there. <laughs> they're getting ready to beat this dude down. To nope. Yeah, get me out of here. It's like somebody. You ever seen those videos where somebody pull, pops off a shot in a club, a nightclub, and yeah. everybody hits the deck or starts running? That's what it's like. This like this dude just pulled out a pistol, and everybody's like, "Nope, I'm out of here." That's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> Like what? What kind of trouble would you have to be in for you 
to shit yourself well, and wipe like it all over probably, your face. You, you know, let's say you got warrants out for you, right? You got warrants out for you. You can't go to jail. You got to get out. Surest way you get out is what? Poop. Poop like, on but, yourself. But what for you? Like for you to do that to yourself, what kind of trouble would you have to be in? Like if you knew that you were about to catch a beat down from like a street game. Death. Death. You would do that. Just try anything. Death. Now, if I second knew, question, uh, death could was you do that? on the way, boom. Could you yeah. crap on command like that? Yeah. Yeah. You could. Yeah. Uh, so this could have just as easily gone with fun with stupid. This is ridiculous, Sam. Okay. So, you know, they made Captain America. He's black now. Uh, which I have no problem with that. Whatever, black guy. Uh, but listen to this. So why Marvel? Why? Marvel are they're going into reshoots on Captain America: Brave New World, and uh, it sounds like the bad guy is Harrison Ford, and this film is being considered possibly problematic because the uh, female protagonist is the first. Israeli superhero, and she's like from Mossad. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> no, it's not. It's crazy. ridiculous. It's crazy. It's so, I mean, like, dude, it's like literally you go, hey, man, like, I only bad ideas today. Can we only go with bad ideas? Like, give me all the bad ideas. Okay, let's take Captain America. We'll make him black. Bang! Perfectly awful idea. That's at the top of the board. Okay, and then what else can we do? Dude, people hate intelligence agencies. Why don't we make it a foreign intelligence agency? Mossad. Bang, there we go. Anything else, dude? Anything else? Here's uh, here's a story from uh, InsideTheMagic.net, whatever. That's probably a blog, but it says they, they suspect that Marvel in the reshoots might actually be cutting out that Israeli superhero from the movie. Uh, the MCU is preparing to face their most intense backlash yet, thanks to a new character who's set to make her franchise debut in Captain America Brave New World. First of all, I have a problem with this Captain America because he has no superpowers. And now a highlight from Cash Daddies. Have you guys seen that? Okay, so this story, I mean, this is a, this is a story that potentially affects a $17 billion business. 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 <laughs> business. I got to get my business on. Uh, Apple is just days away from a U.S. ban of its smartwatches. It's tr and it's trying to. Are you hearing that, Sam? Apple, yeah, I mean that's they, crazy. They could to ban me. all their smartwatches, and it's based on this lawsuit from this company called uh, Massimo Core uh, that is saying that Apple's infringed on their patents uh, for the oxygen saturation uh, technology that Apple has built into the watches. It can tell your, you know, your O2 sat, uh, yeah. and they're racing apparently at apple they have all their engineers thrown onto this like in, in a race that they've never had before uh like they've never had before to try to get this done before this deadline reaches to change the way they me measure oxygen saturation so it's, it's all hands on deck at apple right now to apparently uh, keep this from going to through uh, the only way it could uh it cannot go through is if there's a veto by the white house but the ban is set to go through on december 25th from the international trade commission on christmas <laughs> yeah isn't it crazy poor santa it's wild at least they waited till christmas for apple you know to finish selling the watches but uh the news uh sent apple stock down less than one percent on monday so oh
I, I think people are pretty confident that they're going to get it figured out. Always, but, dude. But you that's know. crazy. Here's another thing that is predictive of future uh, problems and, and might uh, inform how you invest. That's the only reason I mention this. Uh, there's a city in Michigan, Ann Arbor, a major city, is uh, banning gasoline-powered leaf blowers. Uh, due to noise and health issues is what they're saying. Oh, but really, God. it's just part of this, what we see in California. Now we're seeing it, it looks like, more in the Midwest. They're banning uh, gas-powered power tools. Or, uh, you know, anything gas-powered, really. That's uh, uh, in, I know, what is it, L.A., right? Or maybe even California, where they, I think they have like a 10-year plan to phase out all gas-powered, uh, you know, lawnmowers, uh, leaf blowers, chainsaws, all that stuff's going to be battery-powered. Uh, in like I mean, a decade, you can I think. Buy either now. I mean, you can buy really solid battery powered. Uh, They're a lot better than they used to be. Yeah. Yeah, they are. They're more powerful. They're longer yeah. lasting. Um, yeah. It, I I still like the old gas. Yeah, me too. Yeah, but the chain the chainsaws used to be really crappy, and I have one now just to see what it was like. I got a Makita uh, out here, and it's there. It's really solid. Yeah, it's really nice. Okay, gotta check that out. But you know what? That sucks because gas is at all time low right now. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. What do you mean all time low? Last what, three years? Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're going back to 2019, 2020, right? Dude, now. I want 2000, I want, I want 90, 1995 gas. Yeah. I'm going to pay a dollar for gas, bro. Who knows? Who knows? You know, I do think oil and energy is going to go back up from here. I, I okay, do. Okay, respect. Respect. I like oil and energy. I like OIA, XLE. Those two things look like they're headed back up. Um, uh, other big news. How about the electric car Rivian? It was down and out, sitting in the bed, down to 16 bucks. AT&T comes out, says we're going to use all your cars for our fleets from here on out. Stocks back up to twenty four bucks. Wait, 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 what? Like that? You mean like they're gonna they're they're gonna use vans? They I didn't even know they made vans. Like they're, they're... Uh, yeah, AT and T uses thousands of vans. But but what you are talking about? Like install guys, like like the guys yeah. who install cable and stuff. Huh. Yeah. Rivian's gonna use their. Uh, their... Did they make a van though. I didn't know they made a van. Let me see. Yeah, I've seen the big. They got a big truck. Man. Yeah, their truck's beautiful. Yeah, it's a great truck. Let's yeah, see. So... Uh. Oh, it's a Rivian commercial van. It's designed from the ground up, prioritizing safety and sustainability. Oh, I see. So it must be something they, uh, it's it's a new product they're making for this venture, it sounds like. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's hideous, too. Oh, God, it's ugly. But uh, yeah, Sam's just stepped away now. <laughs> just gone. Yeah. So, I mean, that's uh, that's going to be uh, that's huge, be right? If you oh, own the God. Rivian stock, right? That's huge. Yeah, it's all you know. I was down and out. That that was an IPO that came out high, and now it's down to went down to sixteen. Now it's back up to twenty four. Um, you know, but you got things that are still overbought. You know, the S and P went from forty two hundred. Now we're at, almost at forty eight hundred. Uh, Dow thirty two five. Now we're almost at thirty eight. Um, I think things are going to sell off, man, quickly, quickly. Um, I hope you're right. Um, but you know. You gotta love it, man. As long as this world has uh, religion and land, we're always gonna have war. Um, and that's where you gotta look at these defense stocks. These defense stocks are crushing it. Palantir was one that was down and out. That stock was down to what 10, 11, 12 bucks. Now it's back up to 17. Because, you know, you have all these satellite systems that can track pirates and things like that. And uh you know, you know what's going to happen next. We'll start blowing them out of the water. 
Did you see that Goldman uh, is calling this a period of great disinflation is what they're calling this period we're about to enter. And they predict that the Fed's going to slash rates five times in 2024. What do you think about that, Howie? You know, I'm starting to wonder. I, I do think they're going to lower rates, but I don't know when. I mean, you know, that's why this market's up on this exuberance. It's basically all these analysts coming out and saying, oh, yeah, we're done raising rates. Maybe. I mean, but I don't think it's going to happen overnight. I think we might see a nice little sell-off first. Uh, maybe February, March, April, they start cutting rates a little bit. I don't know, five times? I don't think it's going to be that quickly. We're not close to 2% yet. We got to get that 2% number. We're not there. We're a ways. You know, the market's up because, look, what bottom line is this, the 10-year yield which when we hit above 5%, that was bad. You know, mortgage rates were, what, 7.5? Uh, but the 10-year yield hit over 5%. Now, look where it is now. It's back down to 3.9, I believe. I'm not even looking. Uh, but, you know, that's that's why the market's up. So if this the bond yields start going back up, this market's going to it's gonna retreat a little bit, which is healthy. It's good. All right. Good news if you owe back taxes, by the way. The IRS said Tuesday is going to waive penalty fees for people who failed to pay back taxes that total less than $100,000 per year for tax years 2020 and 2021. What really do you mean by that? Like the amount of taxes you owe or the money you make? I would assume it's your annual salary of 100000 per year. Nearly 5 million people, businesses and tax-exempt organizations, most making under 400000 per year, will be eligible. So it must be, yeah, it must be if you owe less than a hundred thousand, uh, will be eligible for the relief starting this week, which totals about a billion dollars. The IRS temporarily, this is the reason they're doing it is because they temporarily suspended mailing automated reminders to pay those overdue bills during the pandemic. Uh, that's the reason for doing it. Do and this is their quote: "Due to the unprecedented effects of the COVID nineteen pandemic, these reminders would have normally been issued as a follow up after the initial notice. Although these reminders uh, were suspended, the failure to pay penalty continues to accrue for taxpayers who did not fully pay their bills in response to the initial balance due notice. So yeah, it could uh, catch a break if you haven't paid your taxes. Now might be the time you can catch a little break there. All right." All right. Can we, I think we, this has been a great episode. It's a lot yeah, of fun. I got one more thing. Just the, it's just, just a little sign of, uh, I mean, everything we see around us, uh, it, it kind of proof that we're not, our eyes aren't deceiving us. Uh, there's new homelessness data, uh, homelessness oh, up 12% this, uh, from 2022 from last year. It's the highest it's been since 2007 during that downturn. We go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Tim foil hack. Tim foil hack.